0: If you have your Bibles with you, come with me to Psalm 91. You might have your iPhone or a tablet, you can scroll there as well, Psalm 91. If you're joining us for the first time, we are kind of finishing up in the next couple weeks this series we've been in over the course of the summer called Summer in the Psalms. You know, there's 150 Psalms, we haven't been preaching through each and every one of them, but because the Psalms are so, you know, vast and unique and there's such a, a wide variety of, of um, personal experiences and topics and, and And encounters that these these psalms or songs talk about, we're touching on like a new topic every week. And so today, our topic that we get to kind of dive into in Psalm 91 is this thing called divine protection. Everyone turn to your neighbor and say divine protection. (laughs) Awesome. All right. So Psalm 91, let me read the text for us this morning and then we're going to dive in into what the Lord has for us today. Psalm 91. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked, because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place. No evil shall befall you. Nor shall any plague come near your dwelling, for he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent. You shall trample underfoot, because he has set his love upon me, says the Lord. Therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high, because he has known my name. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. This is the word of the Lord for us today, friends. Well, now we don't know who wrote this psalm, right? Some of the psalms we do. This one, just because there's no name attached to it, we simply just don't know who wrote it. It could have been Moses, it could have been David, it could have been a whole host of other kind of people or poets. We, we don't know who wrote this psalm, but what we do know is that it is a, a psalm or a song written for and on behalf of the king, the leader of God's people. In other words, this is a royal song, and it's one that speaks unequivocally of the benefits of those who are in relationship with God. Right? And, and namely, that person who in, who's in relationship with God, was supposed to be the, the king, right? the leader of God's people, and, and the psalm talks about the, the blessings, the benefits that comes with that intimacy, namely this thing called divine protection. The first line of the psalm speaks to this, right? We see this, he, he who dwells in the, the secret place, in, in the shelter, in the presence of the Most High, is, this is reminiscent of you know, the intimacy that Moses got to share and experience with God. Right, Exodus 33, 34, Moses got to you know, spend time with God in the, in the cloud of his presence, meeting with him, speaking to, with, with him you know, you know, face to face, mouth to mouth. That, that's, that's what the psalmist is kind of referring to here, friends. He's talking about how, how those who dwell in this place of intimacy with God, just like Moses did, just like the, the kings of Israel were supposed to, how, how they are those who get to experience for themselves the promises of this psalm. It's a psalm of, of intimacy, of relationship. Yet another line that speaks to this can be found in, in verse 14. Right? What we read there that it's it's because the psalmist has set his love upon the Lord. It's because the psalmist or that the, the king has 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 known God intimately, deeply, personally, right? He's known his character and his personhood. Again, j- just like Moses did, that the Lord promises to deliver this, this king out of trouble. These verses kind of bookend this psalm and they, and they show us how it's one that speaks of these benefits you know, to, to, of being in relationship, intimate relationship with God. So while this is a royal psalm, while it outlines, you know, some of the, the benefits or the inheritances uh, of the kings of Israel, right? Talks about security in battle, angelic assistance. This thing talks about uh, a long life, deliverance in times of trouble. It talks about how God is our refuge, our, our fortress. Anyone seen Lord of the Rings? Yeah, like Helm's Deep, right? That cool fortress that just keeps all the bad guys out. That, that's what this is like referring to. God is our fortress, right? He's our Helm's Deep. And this is, this is a benefit of this psalm. It's an inheritance of the kings of Israel, and yet it's actually also our inheritance as well. Did you know that? This is, this is our inheritance, friends. Now, now, I want to ask you a question. Do you, do you know who you are? Yeah, Awesome. <laughs> Pastor Ben preached an incredible message from Psalm 139 last Sunday on, on, on identity, right? He talked about how each of us has been made in the image and likeness of God, how each of us has intrinsic worth and value, how we're, we're deserving of love, you know, and I, I, how we're all incredible. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty awesome, right? I, I know who my Father is, my Heavenly Father, and I know how He loves me, amen? amen? Yeah, we're awesome. That's who we are. That's our identity in Christ. This is who we are as God's kids. You see, we're the people of God. And as those who have claimed with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and and believed in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, as those who through faith in Jesus have been adopted into God's family, friends, everything that belongs to Jesus, everything that has been promised to him in the scriptures, right, it actually now belongs to us. Did you know that? We are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, and everything that has been promised to Jesus, the Son of God, now belongs to us as well. I mean, isn't this what the Apostle Paul wrote of to the church in Corinth? 1 Corinthians, you can flip there now, chapter 3, 1 Corinthians 3, starting at verse 21. And I'm going to paraphrase this a little bit, but this is what Paul writes to the church. He says, all things are yours, all of them. All things are yours. This world, this life, the present, the future, all things belong to you, church. Why? Because you are of Christ, he writes, and Christ is of God. Because of your faith in Christ and, and the position you now stand as one in relationship with God, man, all things are yours. All the promises of God are yours. They belong to you and me, and this includes that divine protection as we see here in Psalm 91. Friends, do you realize that as the adopted sons and daughters of God, that you're actually sons and daughters of the King of Kings? Did you know that? King of Kings. And guess what that makes you, right? Our daddy's the king, therefore you are royalty. Did you know that? Come with me in a moment. First Peter chapter 2 verse 9. First Peter chapter 2 verse 9. This is the apostle Peter writing to the early church. Right, and while Peter made many mistakes in his time, man, he got some things right. Let me tell you, listen to this. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Did you catch that? You're chosen. You're a holy nation. Right? You're God's special possession. You are royalty. And as as kids of God, says Peter, you know, belong to an eternally royal family, man. And royal blood, it flows through your veins. This is who you are. And because of this, you are entitled to all the privileges, all the rights, all the benefits and, and advantages that the kings, the kings were given access to. Friends, it belongs to you and me, divine protection. There's a show that's been kind of catching you know, wind and, uh, you know, gaining critical acclaim on Netflix lately, and it's this, this show called The Crown. Anyone heard of it? A few people. All right. It, it kind of, if you haven't seen it, it's a, it's a dramatization of the life and the events of Queen Elizabeth II. Now, while, you know, while it's a dramatization, right, I'm sure a bunch of it is fabricated and not true. It's sensationalized. It's Hollywood, right? I think the reason why the show kind of catches such traction is because it gives us, you know, like normal folk, right, kind of a glimpse into royal life. Right? It gives us a glimpse into the, the royal personalities and, and the intrigues, the romances, the, the political rivalries, the benefits of, of being part of a royal family. Now, I'm not I'm not condoning the show per se, but my wife and I, we've just found it really intriguing. This 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 inside look into kind of what potentially is happening inside, you know, Buckingham Palace, this closed-off kind of place. Now, whether you've seen the show or not, let me ask this question. How did, how did Queen Elizabeth become queen? Right? Did she just one day you know, show up to Buckingham Palace and she applies for a job as like a maid or uh, uh, maybe like a nanny and she, you know, they're like, oh wow, you just blew us away. You're so good. And you have like, that, that perfect monotone British accent. You know? She's just so, ah, we're going to make you king. Sorry, queen, not king. That'd be weird, right? No, of course that didn't happen. They didn't just you know, make her this kind of normal person. It was because of her royal blood, right? Her, her identity. It's because of, of who her, her, her father was. That, that she was made queen, that she inherited the, the crown and all of its benefits. Friends, do you understand who you are? Do you understand that because of who your daddy is? That, that this is actually your inheritance. This thing that once belonged to kings and to the, the leaders, the rulers of God's people. Man, divine protection is your inheritance, it belongs to you. However, there, here's, the, here's the kicker, okay? if we're ever going to experience the fullness of what God is offering to each of us, as we see here in Psalm 91, if we're ever going to live into our inheritance of divine protection and receive you know, its full reward, its full blessing in our lives, it means we actually need to claim it and take hold of it as our own. Now, before I go any further, I just want to address, uh, I don't know, maybe it's common, maybe it's not common, but this misunderstanding of what it means to be in Christ. You know, unfortunately, there's a lot of bad theology out there, and this is kind of one of those pieces. And it's, it's this, this bad theology that says something along the lines of, you know, if you're a Christian, then nothing bad can happen to you. Has anyone come across this before? A few of you, right? Maybe you're like, oh, crud, I believe that. Oops, Okay. No, all right. So this, this, this is this, its idea that we're you know we're invincible, we're we're untouchable. That somehow you know by the grace of God, because we're in Christ, that we're you know magically absolved from experiencing the hardships of life, you know, natural disasters and you know the the the, the crash in the economy, things like that. We're just you know we're protected. Nothing bad can or will ever happen to us because we're we're in Christ. But is that is that what Psalm ninety one says? Maybe parts of it. Kind of allude to that, right? But, but is that what the whole of Psalm 91 says? And what about the rest of Scripture, right? Is this what the Bible teaches? I don't think so. You see, the, the reason this misunderstanding or this kind of bad theology is so devastating is because it's not true. It's just, it's not true, right? It's Like I said, it's bad theology. It's bad exegesis. It's not correct. It's not biblical. To be honest, it's not realistic, And in all honesty, it actually holds the potential to wreck some people's faith. Right? They kind of believe, you know, I'm a Christian now, so everything's going to go my way. And then wham, nothing goes their way. And they're like, I guess I'm not a Christian. I guess God doesn't love me. I guess I haven't done enough. I guess there's something wrong with me. Right? And it actually begins to spiral them into this place of just spiritual burnout and disillusionment with the church. It has the potential to wreck people's faith, friends. Now, I don't want you to hear me wrong this morning, okay? I just finished saying that through our faith in Christ, that all the promises of God are ours, and that's true, right? All of God's promises are ours to claim and to take hold of and to experience for ourselves, and God is faithful to do what he says, amen, right? 2 Corinthians 1.20, for all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him they are amen to the glory of God through us. Through us, it's, it's as actually God works his promises in us and through us that we're giving him glory. And all of his promises are yes and amen. All of them. God, God is true to his word, right? He doesn't make empty promises. Not one of his promises is gonna fall or fail. Instead, everything he has said, it, it will be fulfilled, including this promise of divine protection. But what does that actually look like? What does what, what this promise mean? Does this mean that because we're in Christ, you know, because we have relationship with God, that we're impervious to financial crisis or a breakdown in our marriage? Does it mean, you know, that we're invulnerable to a freak accident or to our kids making just stupid decisions? You know, does it mean, you know, that we're immune to those CRA scams that come and they call us up and they're like, yo, give us a bunch of cash money or else we're going to come to your house and arrest you and your wife and your cat and your dog and your children, Right? And the kind of hold you gunpoint, not really, but anyone fall for that scheme? No, no one's willing to admit it, right? I didn't either, don't worry, I totally tricked the guys. I gave them certified money orders instead of cash. Just kidding, I didn't do that. It's a joke, it's a joke, okay, all right. But in, in all seriousness though, right, is, is that what the, the promise of divine protection looks like? That, that we no longer need to worry about getting sick? You know, contracting a terminal illness or, or, or losing our job because we're in Christ. We, we don't need to worry about those things, friends. But that's different than those things maybe taking place in our lives. It's different. And so you see the danger of this theology that says nothing bad can happen to us is that it's actually nowhere in scriptures that we explicitly read that. Instead, so what does Jesus promise his disciples? Right? You can go to John sixteen thirty three if you'd like John 16, what does Jesus say? In this world you'll have success, riches, the perfect family, you know, complete and utter protection from hardship and stress and anxiety and depression and gout. I don't know, I threw gout in there, I just felt like it, right? But just this, this, this kind of blanket immunity. Is that what Jesus has promised us? No. Oh. Brother, what does he say? He says, in this world, in this life, you're going to have trouble. You're going to have trouble. Going back to Psalm 91, just look at all the kinds of trouble that the author writes about. And it's actually trouble that he himself has experienced and lived through. You realize that this psalm is actually a personal testimony of what God has done in his life, or what God has done in the lives of the, of the kings. Right? Just look at it, man. He talks about the Fowler's snare. It's like traps, you know, hazards, pitfalls. It's like that old school, you know, old school Atari game, right? Where you're trying to avoid the hole in the ground. You know, that's, that's the Fowler snare, these, these traps in life. All right? He talks about pestilence. That's kind of a weird word we don't use anymore. But, but disease, fatal epidemics. He talks about terror at night. That could be nightmares. That, that could be demonic attacks. And that could be fear, crippling fear. He talks about arrows at day, so war, you know, wounds from a friend or a family member, you know, harsh words, destructive behaviors of others. He talks about a pestilence that walks in darkness. He talks about destruction. Man, people, you know, thousands dead around you. It kind of sounds bleak, to be honest. That that all these things can and, and, and might happen to us, even though we're in Christ. So how do we reconcile this? How do we reconcile this? If God doesn't promise, you know, that nothing bad is going to happen, yet at the same time, He promises us that we have His divine protection, what does that actually look like in our lives? You see, God doesn't promise to keep us from experiencing the troubles of life. But rather, He promises to protect us in the troubles of life. And, and, friends, to deliver us out of them. Amen? Let me say that again. He doesn't promise to protect us from the troubles of life. But he promises to protect us in those moments and, and to deliver us out of them. for by doing this, friends, by doing this, number one, he gets to prove to us that he's faithful. And number two, he, he allows us the, the opportunity to grow our trust in him as our father and as our, as our protector, as our deliverer from times of trouble. And then number three, he gives us a testimony that we get to use to increase the faith of those around us, right? There's, how many of you know there's, there's power in testimony, amen? Right? What is Revelation? What is it, 1910? What does it say? That the, that the, 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 the what is it, the, the prophecy, sorry, the, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, that when we, we, we talk about and, and testify to the works that Jesus has done, we're actually prophetically releasing this, this, this belief that, that God can do it again. There's power in our testimony. And speaking of testimony, just this past week, it was actually last Sunday. I was in my office just getting ready for the morning, and I was uh, kind of actually reading through this Psalm 91, studying, kind of getting myself ready for this morning. And I received an email that one of our own, a guy named Tim that he was involved in a major motorcycle crash on Saturday night. And while he was out for a ride on Saturday, he slipped on some gravel, and he actually was thrown from his motorbike a considerable distance. And as a result, he suffered three broken vertebrae, a broken collarbone in three spots, a shattered wrist, four broken ribs, and a punctured lung, which actually later on in one of his surgeries, it collapsed, and they had to put a, a tube in through his side into his lung to inflate it. Well, Tim suffered you know, considerable trauma to his body, friends. We praise the Lord that there was absolutely no uh, trauma or, or damage to his brain. There was absolutely zero trauma to his spinal cord. And get this, when I went to go visit him on Monday morning, he was already up and walking around. Isn't that wild? He was up and walking around. And when the doctor said he was going to spend at least a week in the hospital, guess what? On Wednesday of this last week, he was already released after only three and a half days of being in the hospital. You can't tell me that's not the, the divine protection that God offers to his kids, amen? Right? When the doctors look at them and the, the, the first responders, they're like, oh my goodness, you're lucky to be alive, let alone, you know, you have you've, you've zero brain damage, zero spinal cord damage. Friends, you can't tell me that's not the hand of God, right? There's power and testimony. And God, our God, our good God, friends, he, he saved and he, he rescued and he delivered Tim out of what could have been so far worse. See, God doesn't promise to keep us from experiencing the troubles of life, but he he promises to to protect us in those moments and to deliver us out of them. Friends, this is our inheritance. This This is what divine protection looks like. It's not blanket immunity from divorce or bankruptcy or cancer, but rather it's God's imminent and tangible presence with us in those hard moments of life. Divine protection, it's, it's God's faithfulness to deliver us out of those moments, out of trial and tribulation, not just to keep us from them, but to rescue us with himself out of those things. Friends, it's, it's the ability to, by, by faith, trust in our all-powerful God and dad, the Almighty, even in the face of the most extreme disaster or sickness or freak accident or storm. And it's the assurance that he's good. Amen? That he's good. He's always good. No matter what life brings our way, friends, this is our inheritance. It's our birthright. Not, not, it's, not, it's not to be arrogant. But it's also not just to you know, be survivors. It's to live victoriously. Because we know who is for us and who is with us and who is fighting on our behalf. And so if we're ever going to experience the fullness of this, you know, this, this promise, this inheritance of divine protection, we've actually got to do some stuff. You see, we've we got to take hold of it. We've got to claim it as our own. we've got to live into it. Now, an inheritance is a funny thing, isn't it? An inheritance is kind of a funny thing. Well, none of us deserves an inheritance, right? We, we can't earn it. We didn't work for it. You know, usually an inheritance is this thing that's kind of given to us by a parent or a grandparent. And it's something that they worked for, that that they maybe even fought for, but now they they give it to us, right? And we just are the beneficiaries of this free gift. We can't work for an inheritance. It's because of who we are, our identity, that that thing actually now belongs to us. But how many of you know that if we're going to experience the fullness of that inheritance, we actually need to take hold of it? You see, all too often when we receive an inheritance, our response to that free gift is usually one of two things. A, it's, it's we, we try to earn what already belongs to us. We try to earn it. Or, or B, we attempt to do on our own what has already been achieved on our behalf. Let me illustrate this with a story, all right? There's a young man, a young man, and he spends his life b- building a business kind of from nothing, right? A business from scratch. He, you know, while, while this, this little company that he kind of, Started, it was really, you know, a small fish in a big pond. Now it's actually a leader in his industry, okay? And I mean, he's successfully grown this little mom-and-pop shop from, from a, a little thing into this full-blown corporation, okay? He's got hundreds of staff. He's got, you know, multiple locations, a healthy, you know, income stream. He's, he's got, you know, this ever-expanding list of clientele. He's just, he's doing so well for himself. And the guy spends his entire life working tirelessly to, to build this company out of nothing so that one day... One day, he can, he can give this company to his son as an inheritance. All right, now, while the son is young, while the son might not have you know, as much experience as maybe, say, some of the other employees who have worked for his father longer than he has, well, while he might not have the, you know, the education that some would expect him to have running such a big business, friends, it's because of who he is. It's because of his identity as the son of the father that the day finally comes, you know, when the dad hands him the keys to the business and he says, son, it's yours. It's yours. Everything I've worked for, it's yours. It now belongs to you. It, it, it belongs to you. It's your birthright. And now, theoretically, now, now the son gets to enjoy the benefits of this healthy and thriving business, right? And yet, unfortunately, this is not what happens. You see, instead of receiving that gift, Instead of living into its benefits, what does the son do? Well, in theory, he accepts it. It's because of a misunderstanding of who he is, that he's convinced himself he he needs to earn the title that he now carries, that he needs to achieve for himself that which was already accomplished for him. And so instead of, you know, picking up that mantle that his father passed on to him, instead of, you know, enjoying the success that his dad built for him, earned for him, instead he spends his time trying to prove to his staff trying to prove to his daddy, trying to prove to himself that, that he deserves this position. And so he arrives early, right? He stays late. He, he puts in 30 hours of overtime every week. He's doing all these kind of tasks that he should never be doing in the first place. And he does all of it in, a, in, in an attempt to, to prove that he's earned the right to lead his father's company. That he's worked hard you know, to accomplish for himself, which in reality was already accomplished for him. But how many of you know that by doing this, The son hasn't really stepped into his inheritance at all, has he? You see, instead of enjoying his inheritance, he's actually out there working himself into a burnout. Attempting to perform and earn and achieve in his own strength was already done for him. And so in doing, he, he tragically misses out on the fullness and the benefits of this birthright from his dad. Going back to this Psalm, Psalm 91... Friends, when it comes to your inheritance as a son and daughter of the king, your inheritance of di- divine protection, are you, are you trying to perform your way into what's already yours? Are you trying to prove that you're worthy of receiving what's been given to you? What's been promised to you? Are you operating out of a religious spirit or you know, maybe, maybe an orphan spirit that says, I, I need to work harder, I need to do more, I need to prove that I'm deserving that I'm good enough, that I've earned the benefits of being in relationship with God. And all the while, you know, you're striving your way into that place of spiritual burnout and disillusionment with the church and frustration. And just like the son in the story, because of a misunderstanding of who you are, you're trying to strive and perform your way into this place with God that he's never intended you to be. You're trying to earn your inheritance from your father. Or maybe for you, man, maybe life has just been marked with hardship, right? It's been marked with sorrow and grief. Maybe all you've ever known was fear or or, or sickness, or maybe it's, you know, fighting in despair. And rather than claiming by faith the inheritance that is yours, right, divine protection in and over your life, you've convinced yourself that the reason that you got fired from your last job. Or, or, the, or the reason that your, your last screening came back positive, or the, or the reason your spouse and kids betrayed and left you, or, or that you fail at everything you put your hand to, is simply because you are not good enough. You've convinced yourself of this. That you just didn't perform to God's standards. That you weren't worthy of a, of a better life. And that this is, this is all you're going to get. This is as good as it gets. And again, because of a misunderstanding of who you are, you've disqualified yourself from that which belongs to you. Friends, there's power in what we believe about ourselves. Did you know that? There's power in what we believe to be true about God, and there's power in what we believe to be true about ourselves. And if we've convinced ourselves we're unworthy of the grace of God, guess what? We're going to live like it. And then what about those who, for whatever reason, You know, they're convinced that they need to do on their own what's already been achieved for them. For some of you here today, while the, you know, divine protection has already been promised to you, all too often when troubles of life come, you know, instead of embracing and taking hold of your inheritance of divine protection, you convince yourself that it's up to you to protect you. That it's up to you to deliver you. That it's up to you to save you. Some of you hear when there's sickness or disappointment, and when you're bombarded with the destructive behaviors of others, or from the attacks of the enemy, when when everything around you seems to just be crumbling and falling, the world is going to hell, literally. Instead of trusting in God and what He has promised and said to do for you, you attempt to do on your own what's already been done. Instead of looking to God as your Savior you know, as your protector, as your deliverer, instead of seeking after him first, you look everywhere else, including here. Human ingenuity, government assistance, doctors, medication, Google, right? Come on. Any, anyone just like have a PhD in Google, you know? Right? I'm, I'm being honest. How, how often do we run to Google instead of Jesus when things come our way? Right? And, you know, a moment of truth here. This, this is probably each of us. I'm guilty of this, man. You know, I find, like, a little bump on my arm, and I suddenly have my PhD, right? My, you know, my, 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 my doctorate of Googleology, and I, and I start Googling things, you know, WebMD, and I'm like, either that's a mosquito bite, or I've contracted the bubonic plague. I am dying right now, right? How, how many of us just go there, when really I should just be going to the Father, and like, hey, God, thanks that you're my protector. Right? Thanks that you're my deliverer. Thanks that you're my shield and my buckler. That's a cool word, right? Buckler. He's our armor. How, how many of us go to Google first? We do this, friends. Instead of trusting in, in those things that have been promised to us by the Father, instead of going to Him first all too often, we, we try to do on our own what's already been accomplished for us. And, and when we do this, friends, when we do this, we miss out on all that God has promised. Friends, our inheritance from God It's not about what we've done or what we can do, but it's only ever about who we are. Did you know that? It's never about what we've done or haven't done for the kingdom, but it's always only ever about who we are to God. And we're His cherished children. We're His kids. We're unconditionally loved by Him. We're someone for whom He he only ever wants what is best and it's his heart to protect us, to, to deliver us from all the, you know, the garbage and the trouble that the world and the devil are going to throw our way. And, and it's only as we believe these truths about our God, it's only as we believe these truths about ourselves, and by faith we then begin declaring them over us and over our circumstances that we're, we're actually going to begin experiencing the fullness of that promise of divine protection. This is what it means to take hold of our inheritance, to claim it by faith. So as I wrap up this morning, I just want to talk to you about one more thing. That's this thing called declaration, the power of declaration. Whether you realize it or not, just like there's power in what we believe to be true about ourselves, there's also power in what we we declare over our lives. Amen? Something we started talking about a bit more this year, something we started kind of digging into and learning and, and realizing and taking more serious is that this thing called declarations is actually really key for living a victorious life. To declare in the biblical sense, the word is to proclaim. It's to proclaim, it's to speak over yourself and your, and your family, the promises of God. In the words of pastor and author Steve Backlund, declarations, they frame our future, they propel us to experience all that Jesus has won for us. Declarations, just like testimony, right? This, this prophetic retelling of an event that causes us to believe that God's able to do it again. J- just like there's power in testimony, there's, there's power in declarations for they increase our faith. They, they keep us grounded in the truth of God's word. They help us keep our, our eyes on Jesus, not our circumstances, but on, but on him, the author, the perfecter of our faith, right? Our, our helpful high priest. Declarations, friends, they're powerful tools against the schemes of the enemy of our soul, the devil. For they direct our lives toward what we speak, sealing the realities of the salvation that Jesus has already won for us and unlocking our God-ordained destinies. Freedom, joy, abundant life, deliverance from the enemy, divine protection. What we need to understand this morning, friends, is that when we choose to speak the promises of God's word over our lives and our circumstances, we're not just claiming by faith these heavenly realities over our earthly situations. We are doing that, but more, we're actually making a physical act of faith that goes to you know, unlock and activate a spiritual reality that is now coming our way. You see, it's as we declare the truths of God's words, the truths of what he's promised over our lives, that we're actually partnering with God. We're partnering with him, with the things that he's already said he would do, and with eyes of faith, we declare that he will be faithful. Amen? And friends, he is. He is. There's power in declaring truth over our lives. Charles Spurgeon, author, you know, pastor, he was known as the prince, prince of Preachers, right? 19th century. In the face of the cholera epidemic of London that saw tens of thousands killed, He wrote of his experience of this idea of declaring truth and the power of declaring truth over our lives. And he writes these words, or wrote, I should say. In the year 1854, when I had scarcely been in London 12 months, the neighborhood in which I labored was visited by Asiatic cholera, and my congregation suffered from its wounds. Family after family summoned me to the bedside of the smitten, and almost every day I was called to visit the grave. I gave myself up with youthful ardor to to the visitation of the sick and was sent for from all corners of the district by persons of all ranks and all religions. I became weary in body and sick at heart. My friends seemed falling one by one, and I felt or fancied that I was sickening like those around me. A little more work and weeping would have laid me low among the rest." I felt that my burden was heavier than I could bear, and I was ready to sink under it. As God would have it, I was returning mournfully home from a funeral when my curiosity led me to read a paper which was wafered up in a shoemaker's window in the Dover Road. It did not look like a trade announcement, nor was it, for it uh, bore in a good, bold handwriting these words from Psalm 91. Because thou hast made the Lord which is my refuge, even the most high, thy habitation. There shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. He writes, the effect upon my heart was immediate. Faith appropriated the passage as her own. I felt secure, refreshed, girt with immortality. I went on with my visitation of the dying in a calm and peaceful spirit. I felt no fear of evil and I suffered no harm. Friends, there's power in declaring truth over ourselves, amen? Come on. So let's start declaring some truth over our lives, amen? Let's start declaring truth over our lives. Friends, I don't, I don't know what you're going through right now. I don't, I don't know, but what I do know is that our God is faithful. What I do know is that our God is with you, amen? What, what I do know is that our God has promised to deliver you, to protect you, to never leave you nor forsake you. Uh, our God is not far, but he's near. He's near, he's with you right now. Right now, in the midst of your storm, in the midst of your chaos, in the midst of your divorce, in the midst of your loss, your your disappointment, your grief, your failure, friends, he's with you. He's not going anywhere. Amen? He's with you. And I'm declaring over your life right now that he is greater than your circumstances. He's greater than your circumstances. I don't know what you're fighting. I don't know what it is that you're going through today, but what I do know is that our God is our shield, that our God is our fortress, that our God is like a mother bird who protects her young with herself. He's shielding us, friends. He is our armor. He's our fortress, our helms deep. Come on, right? He's protecting you, and he wants what's best for you, and he's fighting on your behalf. And friends, let me tell you, let me tell you, he is faithful, amen? And divine protection, it's our inheritance. So I want you to stand with me. I'm going to read over you some truth. I'm going to read over you once more this Psalm 91, but I want you to receive it by faith, amen? I want you to claim it as your own. I'm declaring this over you and over your life right now. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High, shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God in Him I will trust. Surely He shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with His feathers and under His wings you shall take refuge. His truth will be your shield and your buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked, because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place. No evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling, for He shall give His angels charge over you to keep you in all of your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. You shall tread on the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent. You will trample underfoot, amen? Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high, because he has known my name. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life I will satisfy him. And I I will show him my salvation. Amen? Amen. We're going to sing one more song, friends. We're going to sing it this morning. We're going to sing the bridge and the chorus of the song, King of My Heart. Because he's never let us down, nor will he. Let's sing together.